Awesome date. July 19th, 2010. Awesome topic. We drifted so far in life, we fell on our asses. It's dark. Because that's Gekiga. This is the Awesome Cast. Welcome to the Awesome Cast, your podcast for everything awesome. I'm Basil. I'm Eric. And I'm Lee. And that is us. So, how is everyone doing this fine and prestigious of evenings? Excellent. Pretty good. Yeah, not hungover anymore, thank God. Oh, not like, not like yesterday. Well, yes, that's what happens when you fight nights. Fight night. Round three, fight. We have a tradition. Both our illustrious producer... James, a.k.a. Mr. DJ Inobito. That's how they say it in Japan. Japanese. In Japan, where he is very popular. It's, he's big in Japan, one might say. Big in Japan, big, big in Japan. Japan. Anyways, we get together. It's called Fight Night, Fighting Games, and Snooty Beer. Where we drink snooty beer and play fighting, play fighting games. Like Street Fighter and Marvel vs. Capcom 2. And we always end up with some import title at the end that no one knows how to play. We can't even remember who brought it. We're just sitting here going, why are we playing this again? Well, I, actually, this is Battle Fantasia. It actually was released officially in the U.S. And James bought it. Well, before that, was Multi-Blood. Well, yeah, we did, we did play Multi-Blood. Okay, that, was, that was the one last time. That was the round two so with Multi-Blood. And everybody kept going, we don't know how to play this. And Sue's got really enamored of that uh, Battle Fantasia, and I bought her a copy cheap online, so. Man. Well, it is Guilty Gear if Guilty Gear ran through molasses. Yeah, it's like, what if Guilty Gear was in Jello? And not the good kind of Jello, but like slow Jello. So not the everyone has room for it kind of Jello. Yeah, not not the, uh, the bikini wrestling kind of Jello, but rather the. Oh God! I'm in some kind of hideous trap made of a pool of Jello. Jello. It's like being frozen in carbonite, only the carbonite it's is Jello. Jello. It did have Shota Pope. It did so well. I mean, far out here, it is, is more designed for the females to enjoy, which it apparently did. I mean, yeah, it mean Shota Pope. I mean, Shota Pope. How much more, you know? Hey, how much more female can you get than a small hey. boy? That's a Pope. That's a Pope. Hey, if, if I can get my wife to play fighting games with me, I don't care. Well, you know, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I heard you also did a, got her to play another game, which leads us to our brand new segment, Basil's Dragon Quest no, Minute. No, We had an agreement that there would be no Dragon Quest Minute on here. Oh, no, there will be a Dragon Quest Minute. We had talked about this beforehand. And I'm overruling it, my iron fist of authority Ugh. that I don't really have, but I'm going to use it anyways. Uh, how long are we going to do this? Until I beat Dragon Quest. Oh, God, we're going to be here for the next ten years doing this, guys. I hope you guys like Dragon Quest Nine. because you're going to be hearing about it for the next two years. 
But only in small chunks. Only in small chunks. Bite size, you might say. Yes, it's... Look, I can't. we can't do an actual awesome cast on it until I beat the game. That so, may never happen. So why why are we going to do that? Like, so when, when StarCraft comes out, do I get to do a StarCraft minute forever? And ever? Maybe. Yeah, I'm done with that. Yeah, done. Today, Jim Raider said, fuck you, Zerg. So anyways, now it's time for the awesome cast, Dragon Quest Minute. I thought you were going to the Mario music for no, 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 more the the um the town music. Or the save load or the save the save load music or the character creation as it was. So, as of today's recording, Dragon Quest has been out for a day. Mm-hmm. But what level are you after this one day? Um ten. I'm level ten. Uh I'm nine. Nice, nice. So, okay, the, the general gist is you're pretty much an angel who's trying to get back his wings, or her wings, depending on what gender you choose your character. The uh, This is much more multiplayer-oriented um, in that you can actually play other people. So, in order to... They always like to mess change things up. The basic combat of Dragon Quest is always the same, but how they... The actual... What they do for the trappings of it always changes up. For example, in Dragon Quest Four. You would have you had four short mini stories for all the minor characters where they got to be their own main character and then eventual chapter. Then the last chapter you play as the actual main character who's gathering up all the guys who are on their own adventures to go beat beat the final boss. Or then you also have Dragon Quest V, where you actually where you actually pretty much you play through the life of the main character as he as a kid grows up, has a family, the family rescues him. Mm-hmm. And then they go take on the final boss. Yeah, it's like, hey, it's our family. We're coming to kick your ass. Yeah, pretty much. And so in this one, they decided since this is very multi, very much multiplayer, you create everybody. You make your own main character, and then you get to choose your own party and create them as well. Oh, That's a lot of fun. You can create them. Yeah. Like, you can choose to recruit a character. Oh, that's how you create them, okay. Yeah, you recruit them, and you can actually build them up from the ground up just like you made your own character. So, yeah, you can make every single character you want. Wow, that's awesome. Fill up your party. So, that's, I thought that's really cool. And it treats it very much like Fable 2 in that what happens is you have one person who hosts the game, then everyone else joins that host. And so, all the storyline and all the progression actually happens in that one host's game. But you keep all the levels and skill points and stuff that you accrue while you're playing with that one character. So, mm. And I think that's it so far for the awesome cast, Dragon Quest Minute. Now it's time for the awesome cast, I can't believe it's not butter minute. No, wait, I'm just kidding. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that wasn't butter. Oh no. Oh man, what you guys grease with in your own time is uh, your own business. Actually, I use white. I better keep this. Yeah, not... Uh... I use only the Phoenix, Eric's. So, what's next on the old agenda? I guess the actual classic moment of awesome. Well, actually, I don't have a sound because Chase never made one. We always use Kevin, who's not here. And I can't sing as well, but I could try. You're not going to Vuvuzela. You're not going to Vuvuzela. You're not doing it. We're editing that out. Okay, fine. Fine then. It's a moment of awesome. You did that better than I would have. 
Fine, you do it. You do a moment of awesome. Hey, baby. It's a little moment for you. Moment of awesome. No, no, that's not the tune. You have to do the tune. Uh, I do. It's a moment of awesome. I totally, I totally, you know, imagined Eric talking to a Sega Dreamcast. Yeah, exactly. I was like, like, hey, baby. It's a I moment do. of awesome. Okay. Okay, Eric, what? You use the you can always do that on your own time, not on awesome time. Anyways. This is the worst idea ever. Or best. Or maybe it's the best idea ever, exactly. Okay. So what's your moment of awesome? Uh, this week? Um, I have a low comic. Maybe yes, we need yet. to pimp the yeah. hell out of that. I have a low comic. It's uh, Avogadro Style. H-T-T-P. Uh, colon slash s dot a-F-F-O-G-A-T-O Style S-T-Y-L-E Dot com Dot com uh, And it is about uh, Going to be about uh, Working at a cafe And retail And massive damage uh, And massive damage um, Updates Mondays And Mondays Fridays and Fridays And I'm sure we'll have a link up there And Yeah there's a link on the main page Already On the right Yeah Oh right Awesome yeah, There should be a link on the main page Awesomecast.com and uh, I think it's going pretty damn well so far, and you'll really get a taste of it once we get more uh, updates in there, and you can really get a feel for what it's like. But for now, we're doing the starting storyline, so... Yeah, so do go ahead and check it out. Um, I wish my mode of awesome. I haven't really played or done anything. Uh, I can't wait to see Harry dressed in the movie Wednesday. That's nuts. National Treasure 3. Oh, Nicholas Cage pretends he's a wizard who happens to look like Harry Dredston. No, it's Harry Dredston in the movie. What? Did you know Nicholas Cage was actually on the um, producing board, executive producer of the Dredston Files series for Sci-Fi Channel? No. And he was uh, apparently one of the main movers. He really wants to... He, he's a, a Harry Dredston fan, from what I understand. So, so wait, he's making National Treasure 3 with him as a wizard? Well, there's a movie coming out called The Sorcerer's Apprentice by Disney. Oh, that movie. Okay, I got you. And me and Basil have been basically going fighting each other going it's hairdress in the movie no it's National Treasure 3 wizard history and anyway like look it's Nicolas Cage pretending he's a wizard with a guy from Fanboys with a guy from Fanboys and he yes he does look just like Harry Dredston by the team who makes National Treasure what's really funny is that uh, uh, Jim Butcher actually had on his Twitter uh, yeah. a while ago now but he had like yes guys I've seen it no there's nothing I can do about it but you know what? It ain't Twilight, so fuck yeah. Yeah. Did he say that? Like More uh, or less. More or less, yeah. He had an anti-Twilight comment on there. Mm. and uh, So that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't actually seen it yet, so I don't know if it's awesome. But I want to go. I want to see it. And uh, I've been reading a ton of... Uh, uh, you can talk about Blackjack Tec- Yeah, Tessica. Yeah, Tessica manga. Blackjack's um, pretty awesome. I've uh, read Blackjack, which is a uh, manga. Uh, essentially, the best way to describe it is science fiction Dr. House. It's not a very good description, but it's the closest best. thing one could think of. Yeah, exactly. It's a medical science fiction serial drama thing. Man, Blackjack kicks all sorts um, of ass. Yeah, it kicks all sorts of ass. And I've also been reading Buddha, which is a life uh, story of Siddhartha, kind of a fancified... Um, I don't want to say Disneyfied because it's not it's quite as happy. It is cartooned up a bit, but it's not quite as happy as as a Disney cartoon. Like maybe um, like a, like it's not like older Disney cartoons. Yeah. Um, I mean, people actually die. In yeah, this. plenty of people die, and uh, and 
and there's titties everywhere, and there's uh, different stuff. Um, let's see, uh, Adolf, which I read, which is interesting. Uh, so yeah, just a ton of works by Tezuka. Um, haven't really dug into Astro Boy or yet, though I did read a little bit of Kimbo the White Lion. Um, and that was, was eh, it was alright, it was kitty stuff, and it wasn't really meant for me. You know mm. what I mean? It's meant for Japanese children 50 years ago. It's not really, you know, my, my thing. Yep. That's Different pretty much strokes. But on Blackjack, we actually probably will be doing an actual Honest to God awesome guest on. I've got to yes. read all of it. And well, we're, we're going to... I don't think we, all of it's out in America. We're, we're going to do it in chunks. Wow. We're going to do like, which actually one day we're going to actually finish up the next three episodes of Helsing Ultimate mm-hmm. in awesome cast form. Um, but Blackjack, same way. We're going to do the first three volumes. If there's 15 volumes, 15 or 19 or something like that? There's, there's a ton. There's a ton of volumes and uh, only one through... I think seven are in America or something. But like Vertical's that. putting them out pretty regularly. Yeah, well, they, they come out like th- three times a year or something. It's every yeah. three months. Like, there's something like that. So, four times a year, I guess. I need to make sure I have all, all there is. And, uh, and Buddha's really good, too. Like, I'd love to at some point talk about Buddha, but um, I think we've only got two volumes of that. We've only got so. two volumes in right now. Well, yeah. Buddha, I think, is only like ten volumes total. Ten volumes total, yeah. So, I think we can actually probably, you know, read all of it and then have an actual yeah. full on. So, yeah, but. but yeah, Blackjack is so serialized. Yeah, exactly. It's a, like, it's a serial drama. I mean, it's, it was very obviously... Um, it's in no temporal order, or at least it's it's in the order it was written. I don't know what order they've put it in, right? The volumes, but the... Man, the time frame skips around a lot mm. in, in Blackjack. My only compl- my Literally, my single singular complaint about Blackjack is you'll read a story and one of the characters is like, oh, I'm a year old, and then you read another story and one of the characters is like, oh, I'm four years old. What? And it's like the stories next to each other mm-hmm. in the book, so it's a little. But anyway, that's my moment of awesome this week. Uh, mine is uh, Dragon Quest Eight. I mean nine, I guess. It's a fun game, and getting my wife to actually play Dragon Quest with me is pretty awesome. And it's a fun game. I mean, it may succumb to some of the. Uh, as long as it doesn't get like Dragon Quest Seven, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I love that. Like, I actually was real surprised. I was talking to Seuss on uh, on Gmail today, and I was like, "Hey, what's up, lady?" And she's like, "Playing Dragon Quest Nine. I was like, "Holy fuck! Is everyone but me playing Dragon Quest Nine?" Like, she's well, she saw that you get to make your own character, and you can make them however you want them, and you can even, you know, so. Yeah. And she saw me fighting cute monsters. So, and also when you get to All Trades Abbey, mm-hmm. you actually be able to change the class of anyone. So if you decide that you, your party mates are not the class you want them to be, mm-hmm. you can change your classes too. Awesome. And certain skills and bonuses apply to them when you change their classes. Man, I want to skip work for a few days and just play forever. But, you know, that'll be, wait, that's going to be StarCraft. Yes. That is going to be StarCraft. Yeah, StarCraft is my future moment of awesome. But that's all I got, really. I mean, I saw Toy Story 3 is the only movie I've seen recently, and it was pretty good. But Did it make you cry? Maybe. I definitely saw the points where it could make one cry. And I definitely think it is better than two. Maybe not as good as one. But it's it was a, it was a lot of fun. And I should have not seen it in 3D. Yeah, Did it hurt, uh, your hurt your head? Oh, yeah. like Well, for me, it's the glasses. Putting those 3D glasses on top of my existing glasses. Yeah, it... Adds it, te- extra temple pressure, which gives me migraines out the wazoo. I was slightly impressed with the 3D, but I don't think it was enough to merit. It's still 3D... I'm still on the on the side of the fence that says it's a gimmick more than anything, so... Well, I hear the way to really see it, and you really can't, is that apparently there's now uh, like 
it's like 4KP. It's like 4,000 whatever resolution where they can actually shoot the entire 3D image at you for each each frame on each eye. Instead of doing half and half like they're doing right now. Mm. That apparently makes everything way smoother and less headache inducing. As long as we don't evolve where we have to all put on virtual boys on our head when we watch movies. Yeah, I'm not really big on this whole 3D thing. Yeah, it's, I gotta agree with you. It's kinda like... Um, certainly I'll enjoy it on my 3DS whenever it comes out. Well, the 3DS is glasses-free. Well, yes. Thing. It's wonderfully glasses-free. It's glasses-free and it's a totally different technology. Like, So we'll have to see movies. how it actually works. Uh, and you can apparently switch it off, so if it does give you headaches. Uh, yeah, Which the, gives you actually a processing boost if you do that. Yep. Because they're having to generate the image twice to do the whole effect. So yeah. if you don't, if you have a game that does not use a 3D at all, you can actually get juice more power out of the system. Nice. But anyways, my mode of awesome sucks. Also going to be a DS game. It's going to be um, uh, Super Robot Wars Original Generation Endless Frontier. Yes, the very long title. And I started playing it at the behest of Kevin and Lee. Yes. And it is interesting. It is fun. It. For me, it does have certain parallels to Final Fantasy XIII, <laughs> um, in that I have no idea where the story's going, but that's okay, neither do the characters. And the combat system is incredibly, incredibly fun. Really fun, because it's all based on juggling. Mm-hmm. Where every time you do attack, it's kind of like in uh, Xenogears, where they'll suddenly do a pre-programmed like, melee attack or whatever, and some t- and they'll fling the enemy up in the air. Well, then, as the enemy comes down, you want to time your A button again to initiate another attack. And as you do that, you gain um, frontier point. You add to your frontier gauge, which allows you to pull off your super omni special attack of craziness. And you can do more damage when they're in the air because they can't block it. See, I just thought the system was based on juggling. Like, you know, like a lot of juggles. Well, yes, there is lots and lots and lots of boobage. Yeah. Yes, it jubble, is. Jubble, jubble, no, pistol. So that's why some fans call it endless tits, or I could go on, but... Because pretty much every character in the entire thing is designed to appeal to some fetish. Whether it's big boobs, flat chest, Android mermaids, movies. you know, it's... It's fan service everywhere. I mean, it's it doesn't have the graphics of 13, but it certainly is designed to try and please your eyes one way or another. And, you know, for me it's a guilty pleasure because, my God, I, I better not talk about it. I'll look bad, but... <laughs> it's too late. It's too late. Too late. <laughs> Let's just say that I'm really looking forward to the sequel because it's got more characters with... Um, yeah. yeah. More tits. Yeah. Lots more uh, talent. Yes. Like, the, everyone is way more talented in the sequel, I hear. So. Yes, and there's a, a character that only me and Kevin are going to get because it's from one of the Super Robot Wars games. They've aged her up and let her wield a katana, which she kind of already did, but it's going to be awesome. So, And it's also very tongue-in-cheek in its humor. It's, oh, know, yeah. They're constantly making fun of each other. The one of the main characters is constantly referred to as a were-cow. Just because, well, just because they go to worlds where there are were beasts, and um, her rack is like huge. I was I was trying to think of a different word for huge, like, but that's good. Gigantimous. It's yes, it's ginormous. Speaking of ginormous, I think it's time to talk about the review 
of the evening. A ginormous tomb that was done by one Yoshihiro Tatsumi. A drifting life. And I have no clue what music to play here, James, so play whatever the hell you want. Tome. Tomb, tome, whatever. It's a tomb, word that starts with tomb T. Tomb is a grave, a tome is a book. <laughs> Look, I can speak whatever I want. I'm American. Uh, wow, wow, wow. That's what I got a new thing. You, you get a huge book for me and hollow it out, and that'll be my tomb. That'll be my tomb. That way, no one will know. They'll just think it's a book. It'll be like when you hide money in there. You're like, open up. Oh, it's Lee's dead body. Shit. Before you criticize someone, you should walk a mile in their shoes. That way, you criticize them, you're a mile away, and you have their shoes. Yeah, I've heard that one. Now it's time for the awesome cast. I can't believe it's not butter minute. No, wait, just kidding. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that wasn't butter. Oh no. Oh man, what you guys grease with in your own time is uh, your own business. Actually, I use weight. I better keep this. Yeah, not, uh... I use only the Phoenix, Eric's. So, what's next on the old agenda? I guess the actual classic moment of awesome. awesome. <laughs> we actually don't have a sound, because Chase never made one. We always use Kevin, who's not here. And I can't sing as well, but I could try. You're not going to Vuvuzela. You're not going to move Zayla. You're not doing it. We're editing that out. Okay, fine. Fine then. It's a moment of awesome. You did that better than that would have. Fine, you do it. You do a moment of awesome. Hey, baby. It's a little moment for you. Moment of awesome. No, no, that's not the tune. You have to do the tune. Uh, I do. It's a... Moment of awesome. I totally, I totally, you know, imagined Eric talking to a Sega Dreamcast. Yeah, exactly. It's like, like, hey, baby. It's a I moment of awesome. Okay. Eric, what? You use the whistle cat yourself. It feels so good. <laughs> you can always do that on your own time, not on awesome time. Anyways. This is the worst idea ever. <laughs> or best. Or maybe it's the best idea ever, exactly. Okay. So what's your moment of awesome? Uh, this week? Um, I have a webcomic. Yes, we that. need to pimp the yeah. hell out of that. We have a webcomic. It's uh, Avogadro Style. H-T-T-P. Uh, colon slash s. Dot A-F-F-O-G-A-T-O. Style. S-T-Y-L-E. Dot com. Dot com. Uh, and it is about, uh, going to be about, uh, working at a cafe and retail. And massive damage. Uh, and massive damage. Um. Updates, Mondays, and, and Mondays Fridays. And Fridays. And I'm sure we'll have a link up there, and... Yeah, there's a link on the main page. Already. On the, on the right, yeah. Oh, right, awesome. Yeah, there should be a link on the main page of awesomecast.com. And, uh, I think it's going pretty damn well so far, and you'll really get a taste of it once we get more, uh, updates in there, and you can really get a feel for what it's like. But for now, we're doing the starting storyline, so... Yeah, so do go ahead and check it out. Um, I wish my mode of awesome. I haven't really played or done anything. Uh, I can't wait to see Harry dressed in the movie Wednesday. That's nuts. 
National Treasure 3, oh, Nicholas Cage pretends he's a wizard who happens to look like Harry Dredston. No, it's Harry Dredston in the movie. What? Uh, Did you know Nicholas Cage was actually on the um, producing board, executive producer of the Dredston Files series for Sci-Fi Channel? No. And he was uh, apparently one of the main movers. He really wants to, he, he's a, a Harry Dredston fan, from what I understand. So, so wait, he's making National Treasure 3 with him as a wizard? Well, there's a movie coming out called Sorcerer's Apprentice by Disney. Oh, that movie, okay, I got you. And me and Basil have been basically going, Fighting each other, going. It's hairdressing the movie. No, it's National Treasure Three, Wizard History, and anyway. Like, look, it's Nicholas Cage pretending he's a wizard with a guy from Fanboys. With guy from Fanboys, and he, yes, he does look just like Harry Dredston by the team who makes National Treasure. What's really funny is that uh, uh, Jim Butcher actually had on his Twitter uh, yeah. a while ago now, but he had like, "Yes, guys, I've seen it. No, there's nothing I can do about it." But you know what? It ain't Twilight, so fuck yeah. Yeah. Did he say that? Like, more uh, or less. More or less, yeah. He had an anti-Twilight comment on there. Mm. and uh, So that's really cool. I'm looking forward to that. I haven't actually seen it yet, so I don't know if it's awesome. But I want to go. I want to see it. And uh, I've been reading a ton of... Uh, uh, you can talk about Blackjack. Te- yeah, Tessica. Yeah, Tessica manga. Blackjack's um, pretty awesome. I've uh, read Blackjack, which is a uh, manga. Essentially, the best way to describe it is science fiction Dr. House. It's not a very good description, but it's the closest thing one could think of. Yeah, exactly. It's a medical science fiction serial drama thing. Man, Blackjack kicks all sorts Um, of ass. Yeah, it kicks all sorts of ass. And I've also been reading Buddha, which is a life uh, story of Siddhartha, kind of a fancified... um, I don't want to say Disneyfied because it's not quite as happy. It is cartooned up a bit, but it's not quite as happy as, as a Disney cartoon. Like maybe um, like a, like it's not like older Disney cartoons. Yeah, um, I mean people actually die. In yeah, this. plenty of people die, and uh, and and there's titties everywhere, and there's uh, different stuff. Um, let's see, uh, Adolf, which I read, which is interesting. Uh, so yeah, just a ton of works by Tezuka. Um, haven't really dug into Astro Boy or yet, though I did read a little bit of Kimbo the White Lion, um, and that was this. Yeah, it's all right. It's kitty stuff, and it wasn't really meant for me. You know mm. I mean? It's meant for Japanese children fifty years ago. It's not really, you know, my my thing. Yeah, different strokes. But on Blackjack, we actually probably will be doing an actual honest to god awesome guest on. I've got to yes. read all of it. And well, we're, we're gonna. I don't think we're, all of it's out in America. We're we're gonna do it in chunks. Ah. We're doing like which we actually one day we're gonna actually finish up the next three episodes of Helsing Ultimate mm-hmm. in awesome cast form, um, but. Blackjack, same way. We're new. The first three volumes. It was fifteen volumes, fifteen or nineteen or something like that. There's, there's a ton. There's a ton of volumes, and uh, only one through I think seven are in America or something. But like Vertical's that. putting them out pretty regularly. Yeah. Well, they, they come out like th- three times a year. So I mean, it's every yeah. three months. Like there's something like it's so four times a year, I guess. I need to make sure I have uh, all there is. And uh, and Buddha's really good too. Like I'd love to at some point talk about Buddha, but. Um, I think we've only got two volumes of that. We've got two so. volumes in right now. Well, yeah. Buddha, I think, is only like ten volumes total. Ten volumes total, yeah. So I think we can actually probably you know read all of it and then have an actual yeah full awesome. Yeah, but but you know, Blackjack is so serialized. Yeah, exactly. It's, like, a, it's a serial drama, and it's it was very obviously um, it's in no temporal order, or at least it's it's in the order it was written. I don't know what order they've put it in, right? The volumes, but the. Man, it's the time frame skips around a lot mm. in, in Blackjack. My only, compl- my literally, my single singular complaint about Blackjack is you'll read a story and one of the characters is like, oh, I'm a year old. And then you read another story and one of the characters is like, oh, I'm four years old. 
what? And it's like the stories next to each other mm-hmm. in the book, so it's a little... But anyway, that's my moment of awesome this week. Uh, mine is uh, Dragon Quest Eight. I mean, 9, I guess. It's a fun game, and getting my wife to actually play Dragon Quest with me is pretty awesome. And it's a fun game. I mean, it may succumb to some of the... Uh, as long as it doesn't get, like, Dragon Quest Seven, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I love that. Like, I actually was real surprised. I was talking to Seuss on, uh, on Gmail today, and I was like, Hey, what's up, lady? And she's like, playing Dragon Quest Nine. I was like, holy fuck, is everyone but me playing <laughs> Dragon Quest Nine? Like, she's, well, She saw that you get to make your own character, and you can make them however you want them, and you can even, you know, so... Mm-hmm. And she saw me fighting cute monsters, so... And also, when you get to All Trades Abbey, mm-hmm. you actually be able to change the class of anyone. So if you decide that you, your party mates are not the class you want them to be, mm-hmm. you can change your classes too. Awesome. And certain skills and bonuses apply to them when you change their classes. Man, I want to skip work for a few days and just play forever, but you know. That'll be, wait, that's going to be StarCraft. Yes. That is going to be StarCraft. Yeah, StarCraft is my future moment of awesome. But that's all I got, really. I mean, I saw Toy Story 3 is the only movie I've seen recently, and it was pretty good, but... Did it make you cry? Maybe. I definitely saw the point where it could make one cry. And I definitely think it is better than two. Maybe not as good as one. But it's it was a, lo- it was a lot of fun. And I should have not seen it in 3D. Yeah, Did it hurt I, your head? Hurt your head. Oh, yeah. Like, well, for me, it's the glasses. Putting those 3D glasses on top of my existing glasses. Yeah, it... Adds it, t- extra temple pressure, which gives me migraines out the wazoo. I was slightly impressed with the 3D, but I don't think it was enough to merit. It's still 3D... I'm still on the on the side of the fence that says it's a gimmick more than anything, so... Well, I hear the way to really see it, and you really can't, is that apparently there's now, uh, like, it's like 4KP, it's like 4,000 whatever resolution, where they can actually shoot the entire 3D image at you for each, each frame on each eye, instead of doing half and half like they're doing right now, mm. that apparently makes everything way smoother and less headache-inducing. As long as we don't evolve where we have to all put on virtual boys on our head when we watch movies. Yeah, I am not really big on this whole 3D thing. Yeah, I gotta agree with you. It's kind of like... Certainly I'll enjoy it on my 3DS whenever it comes out. Well, the 3DS is glasses-free. Oh, yes. It's wonderfully glasses-free. It's glasses-free, and it's a totally different technology. So we'll have to see how it actually works. Uh, And you can apparently switch it off, so if it does give you headaches. uh, Which gives you actually a processing boost if you do that. Yep. Because they're having to generate the image twice to do the whole mm-hmm. effect. So yeah. if you don't, if you have a game that does not use a 3D at all, you can actually get, juice more power out of the system. Nice. But anyways, my mode of awesome is also going to be a DS game. It's going to be um, uh, Smart Robot Wars Original Generation Endless Frontier. Yes, the very long title. And I started playing it at the behest of Kevin and Lee. Yes. And it is interesting. It is fun. It... For me, it does have certain parallels to Final Fantasy XIII, <laughs> um, in that I have no idea where the story's going, but that's okay, neither do the characters. And the combat system is incredibly, incredibly fun. Really fun, because it's all based on juggling. Mm-hmm. Where every time you do attack, it's kind of like in uh, Xenogears, where they'll suddenly do a pre-programmed like, melee attack or whatever, and some t- it'll fling the enemy up in the air. Well, then, as the enemy comes down, you want to time your A button again to initiate another attack. And as you do that, you gain um, frontier point. You add to your frontier gauge, 
which allows you to pull off your super omni special attack and of craziness. Do, and you can do more damage when they're in the air because they can't block it. See, I just thought the system was based on jubbling. Like, you know, like a lot of jubbles. Well, uh, yes, there is lots and lots and lots of boobage. Yeah. Yes, it Jibble, is. Double, double, no, pissed off. So that's why some fans call it endless tits, or I could go on, but. Because pretty much every character in the entire thing is designed to appeal to some fetish. Whether it's big boobs, flat chest, Android mermaids, boobies. you know. It's. It's fan service everywhere. I mean, it's it doesn't have the graphics of 13, but it certainly is designed to try and please your eyes one way or another. And, you know, for me it's a guilty pleasure because, my God, I, I better not talk about it. I'll look bad, but... <laughs> it's too late. It's too, too late. late. <laughs> Let's just say that I'm really looking forward to the sequel because it's got more characters with... Um, yeah. yeah. More tits. Yeah. Lots more uh, talent. Yes. Like, everyone is way more talented in the sequel, I hear. So. Yes, and there's a, a character that only me and Kevin are going to get because it's from one of the Super Robot Wars games. They've aged her up and let her wield a katana, which she kind of already did, but it's going to be awesome. So, And it's also very tongue-in-cheek in its humor. It's, oh, know, yeah. They're constantly making fun of each other. The one of the main characters is constantly referred to as a were-cow. Just because, well, just because they go to worlds where there are were beasts, and um, her rack is like huge. I was I was trying to think of a different word for huge, like, but that's good. Gigantimous. Yes, it's gigantimous. Speaking of ginormous, I think it's time to talk about the review of the evening: a ginormous tomb. That was done by one Yoshihiro Tatsumi, A Drifting Life. Back in the day, because one of the things that a lot of people get into anime and manga nowadays, 
it's because it's so different and interesting than what they're used to. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not just kids stuff. Well, guess what? Back in the day, it was kids just stuff. Just kids stuff. It, everything was four panels. Four panel was, joke comics. Four panel joke comics. That was it. And it took some very enterprising and hardworking individuals who had the vision to change things to try and do something new that broke boundaries and sort of created a new world of manga. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people at the time referred to it as a thing called Gekiga. It sort of refers to almost independent graphic novel, more edgy comics. They had more of a movie-style presentation. A little more, you know, bolder, a little more adult-oriented. And the man who coined it, or we, 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 as far as we know, coined it, and definitely was one of the big people to push it, was this man named Yoshihira Tatsumi. And we were really lucky in that the man decided, you know what? I'm going to do an autobiography. But because I'm a manga artist, I'm going to do it. As a as manga. A... And that's why we have a drifting life. Which is what we're talking about tonight. Wonderful. Now he takes a pseudonym uh, for himself in here. Hiroshi. Uh, Hiroshi. And uh, I'm not really sure why he did that, honestly. Like, um, I don't know if it's a Japanese thing or if he just decided that it would be, you know, stupid to use his own name or, or what, but... I don't know, but uh, it makes me wonder if he gave other colleagues in the field. Well, the ones that I actually know of are there are their actual names, but maybe he changed some of them just to protect their. But it wouldn't make sense why he'd change his own name because his name's clearly on the front. But maybe it's just a creative thing. But this whole thing is his memoirs, and didn't take him like over ten years to put all this together. It was like ten or fourteen years. It was a crazy amount of time. He worked on this for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can tell I me mean, this thing is... It's huge. It's pretty it's damn It's huge. Thick. It's over 800 pages. Yeah. You know... So, it is a very big... And it starts uh, a little bit after uh, post-World War Two yeah, Japan. So, I remember I was like a kid, actually. Like, what? Like, 12 or something like that? Yeah, like... like it, um, it, submitting comic strips to magazines. Mm-hmm. And when we say comic strips, we literally mean comic strips, which was what manga was at the time. It was four, four panels, panels, jokes... Um, it, apparently there were little contests, kind of like you do with um, cereal boxes in the United States. Except where these magazines would have uh, reader submission sections, and you get little pins that were, you know, you got first place, you got honorable mention, you got whatever. And uh, him and his brother would compete with each other to see who could get in. And I think his brother got what three honorable mentions before he ever even got, got in. One, yeah. yeah, one in, and then one day he won not one but two first place. Like he got, mm-hmm. he got two in the same, which was unheard of among his group. Of, it was like getting both the cool GI Joes in your group of friends, <laughs> kid, right? You know, like. But this was stuff he actually did and worked and made. Yes, yeah. exactly. And he, um, yeah, just to give everyone a um, perspective, this. The book takes place from August of 1945 to June of 1960. With a, with a little epilogue at the end that's in, uh, yeah. uh, what, 89? Whenever yeah. te- uh, Tezuka dies. Like, uh, but, sorry. And this is, a, this is a guy who both was inspired by Tezuka, who later on then inspired Tezuka himself. Uh, he actually met him several times. Yeah. yeah. Sort of like, he met him in a... Um, a meeting for young children. Yeah, uh, he was authors. just a kid. 
um, he submitted work to him, didn't he? Didn't yeah. He? And then yeah. the early stuff, he was like, here's this book I've, I've done. and uh, It's pretty much Tezuka said, I'm really impressed with you. You should come over and meet at my house, and we'll study and discuss manga. And yeah. He, did. he got to see Kimba the White Lion before it became an actual uh, manga. Mm-hmm. He saw the, the test drawings that yeah. Tezuka was doing for it. Um, it even mentions that actually Tezuka was going to medical school in a school that was right next to his neighborhood, and he mm-hmm. would cut through that medical school's like garden yard. Yeah, never even knew that. And never even knew, yeah, that Tezuka was in there. So, um, but there's kind of a framework to the whole thing, which is there's the uh, chapter is usually a period of his life. It's not generally a year. I mean, the the early ones are like. What do you think, year, year, two years? Yeah. Then it speeds up a little uh, mm-hmm. in the middle, and then it slows down again when he becomes about college age, a little under. Then he starts producing um, a lot of work. But uh, it does a really interesting thing, where there's, there's always at the beginning of an era, I guess, of his life, it gives a little cultural... Uh, and historical kind of context. Taste. Yeah. Like, there's, there's a little thing at the beginning that'll be like, this is what's going on historically in Japan at this period... Uh, politically, artistically, artistically, um, you know, these are the famous Japanese people from this year. Here are the movies they came out with that were popular. Yeah, here's the pop culture from this year. Um, Shane, he's got, you know, like in the, one of the early ones, Shane came out uh, and, and was a real big influence on me. Yeah, and uh, you know, these are the American stuff came out. This is the so it really puts you in the mindset. It really helps you understand what time period they're talking about, even if you. You know, are only somewhat familiar with the figures he's talking about. It's still a great frame of reference and sets the tone for the for the uh, for the time chapter. period. Because this is not just a story about his life, but the life of everyone who's living at the same time period he is. Yeah, and, and kind of the direction manga was going in. Yeah, uh, from four panel to children's to them trying to push the envelope, and he kept having ideas as well. Be you're crazy. This isn't what manga is. And you'd be like, why not? Yeah, exactly. Like I, I loved that too when he's uh, him and his brother are arguing over what manga is, and and uh, it really shows you the birth of the industry mm-hmm. in Japan, and you can really see why Japan became a creator oriented industry and America became a um, publisher oriented industry. Like the the Japanese manga industry, in my opinion, anyway, is much more creator oriented, especially. Well, it's getting less so, I think. Mm-hmm. But, but it still seems to be more so than the American. Like, it, yeah, its its birth was as a creator-oriented industry, whereas the American one was its birth was at least in the, the when it was reborn in the '60s. The superhero comics of Marvel was a publisher-oriented industry. Because you see in the book that while he'll leave his, uh, he'll eventually leave to go for other publishers. The the his original publishers can't do jack about it except you know talk. Ugly behind his back, pretty much. So, well, it's one of those things where um, there were the cost of printing was lower and shipping was in Japan was a was low enough that there were several small publishers that could exist mm-hmm. and fight over the creators. So the creators had the power because whoever had the good creators that was the small publisher that did well. Yeah. Whereas in America, it was cost so much to ship and to publish and get your thing out to everyone. There's also a lot of stuff where it's very localized in Japan. Like yeah. There was manga that would only come out in a precinct. Mm-hmm. Like this publisher would pr- publish in one precinct, and the only people who would get to read it are the people who who lived in that precinct. Remember, this is still post-war Japan. There's a lot of rebuilding going on, mm-hmm. and a lot of the distribution channels that we that exist now did not exist then. Yeah, exactly. And so they could only reach so far. Which is probably the reason why these smaller 
groups, you know, popped up mm-hmm. was because if they didn't fill that niche, there would be no. And, the, and that's why the publisher wars, because as the infrastructure began to reestablish, you can watch the publishers expand. Like there's a point where his, I think his first publisher is going. You know, we're going to become not only the best publisher in this precinct, but the best one in all, all of Japan. Japan. Yeah, and. So they were trying to, they, these small publishers, as the infrastructure got built up, kept trying to expand and to expand and do better. You had to have the better artist, and it really put more power into the hands of the, the Creator. creators. Rather. You would also notice that the creators would constantly want to move to Tokyo. Yeah, because that's that was the, the big, biggest markets. Yeah, boom, yeah. Like, oh. I, I do love, too, that he, he does not spare the fact that if you took a bunch of creative people and put them alone together, they, they they'll ruin. fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, I think he does a very, like, I think... You know, sometimes you know that you get you know, somewhat fictionalized works, and I mean this is manga, so it's not exactly pure. Yeah, history. History, yeah. But, but it's still a very neat glimpse into the. Well, I think he, I think what he does instead of over exaggerate, I think he under exaggerates what happens to him. Mm-hmm. Like I think why he he does, I think he is trying to be very polite that he doesn't want to assume that he's so awesome. Mm-hmm. Like he's constantly underrating his own work while he's even writing this. He is, really. Uh, he's always talking about how the, all these other people are so much better than him. And yeah. Like, uh, I can't believe I got to work with this guy. I can't believe I got to work with this guy. And uh, uh, he's uh, does just a brilliant job of, of going over the uh, the history of it. But like I said, I just, like I said, i got to reiterate, he several times talks about the whole creators trying to do their own thing, kind of the image comics of the early days. Yeah. And then he's like, and most of us just goofed off and played around yeah. and didn't do our job. Like, when when the the creators got this much authority and didn't have to listen to publishers and deadlines, we all just went and fucked off. Like, it's time for the movies. Like, yeah. Let's go watch some movies. Let's, yeah. let's go get some beer. Let's go, or sake. Let's go, you know. But, you know, it's also one of the things where it really showed how much movies influenced him. Yes, mm-hmm. that was a, a very brilliant part of the the book. I'm I'm not sure how much. I mean, we were just spoiling, or I don't know how much we're uh, we're wanting to say. On this it's hard to spoil something like this because this is pretty much a journey through his life, and uh, I guess at some point we should throw out a spoiler warning. But it, it's just such a you can't really even if you know everything about it and you read it, it still feels to me like it's still an experience, and that you're still going to get something from it. Yeah, so. exactly. I think we can talk about like certain key points and that yeah. be okay. Like yeah. I don't think we can talk about every every every, I- every inch of it, yeah. but we can we can talk about other points to illustrate how the comic works. He really doesn't spare himself, like we said. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just want to. He shows he shows us his failures. He yeah, shows, he shows us all failures. Fail- yes, exactly. He shows us his failures. He shows us when he did shitty things to people. Mm-hmm. Um, he shows us how inept and awkward he was with women as a, as a, a teenager. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he just, he does a, uh, a real good job of presenting a balanced view of his own life. And uh, it is pretty understated. Like, it's, sometimes I'll be really, like, realizing that this guy's a really influential dude. I mean, he was the guy who coined the term Gekiga. And yet, I didn't feel that he, like, he made himself feel so unimportant. Yeah, in, exactly. in the grand scheme of things. It was like... Like, you, you were sitting here when you read this, and you're like, oh, it's just this guy who's making manga at the time with all these great people. Yeah. And, and unless you know, you know, you wouldn't know that he is one of the... Yeah. It's Which, sort of like, you're letting in on the little club, but no, you're a member of that club, too, even though you're downplaying it, but... Like, and I have a feeling it's, it's affected him overall, too, because, I mean... He's only now getting known worldwide. Like no one knew who he existed, you know, until recently. Mm-hmm. Um, even in the world, like a lot of times, something like Tesla and stuff, 
would have worldwide appeal, and other artists in Monica's did too, but this guy didn't, and it's actually more of a recent development that we're getting to see all this stuff. But, you know, when he was, you know, growing up and he was doing this in the, in the prime of his creating career and helping establish all this stuff, he was really influential. He was influencing these other guys. I mean, well, he worked with the guy who did Golgo 13. Well, yes, and, and that's the thing is that you can be real influential, but for for things in Japan coming over here, it, it, at that time when he was at his stride and giving all this influence, we weren't getting a whole lot of a whole lot of stuff. Period. So we just didn't get him, even though he was driving. He was the driving force behind so many other people. He he, in fact, was the guy who gave the guy uh, one of the two guys who did Go Go Thirteen the hard boiled detective novel yeah, that he yeah. read that influenced him to write stuff like Go Go, like yeah. that got him hooked on hard boiled detective novels. Mm-hmm. As he does mention that, and you know, if he actually mentions in there, it must have been even more. Uh, it was probably even stronger than he he shows. But yeah. he, he was reading a hard boiled detective novel, and the guy goes, "What's that? I don't know. It's got something to do with eggs, but maybe you should read it." And, and it would turn out that guy got hooked on him and created his own hard boiled character, and then helped create Go Go Thirteen. And, and is this one of the best definitions of hard boiled? Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah. He, he does create you don't get much more yeah. hard boiled. Isn't that strange that a a book in Japanese translated to English has probably the best definition of the hard boiled detective genre I've ever read anywhere? Uh, which I don't want to spoil because it's it's good and mm-hmm. it'll be in there. It's a, it's a wonderful line. Yeah. And the man just it's it's just a really really neat. Just yeah. a thing to experience. Yeah, exactly. Like, if you're interested in the history of manga, if you're interested in the history of Japan, if you're interested in, uh, man, just, you know, the culture of Japan. Or just the life of someone who's dedicated himself to making comics. Yeah, exactly. Or, or just the life of someone, yeah, exactly. And this is a guy who's doing it entirely because he loves the format so much. Mm-hmm. Because yeah, that's where we quite to really, to, especially when this is a, a burgeoning thing, you know, to really change things because you're like, man, this could be so much more and then does it. Yeah. Like he uh it also really describes really well the whole rental mag you know, magazine boom. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the rental manga like, the rental you know, manga, you know. Uh, which in Japan what happened because, you know, a lot of people don't have access to just buying books here and there. I mean they're still recovering from a post war economy. Mm-hmm. You know what would happen is there'd be lots of stores that would open up and what they would do is they would have lots of manga that you can just read and rent. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and so that's where all these, you know, cops were being sold to, or these rental shops. Well, not only that, but it was, uh, it was space. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, there were, there weren't quite, as, uh, there weren't as many space issues at this point in, in Japan, but it's another thing was just like, you know, it was, you'd go to this place and you'd, you know, you'd trade them in like, uh, like old ladies trade in, uh, Harlequin romance novels these days. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. And, uh. Yeah, this is before the you, you know, really the uh, the manga magazines really took off yet. Yeah, like stuff like you see like Shonen Jump and Shonen Sunday and stuff, where people buy these just gigantic tankabons of just huge things that has like several chapters, a whole bunch of different types of manga in them. Yeah, mm-hmm. the the, mon- the magazines that uh, that had comics in them at this point were the the comic strip comics. And yeah. The, uh, and the uh, and boys magazines. Like there would be a lot of young girl and young boy magazines that would have articles and comic strips and and submit your own comic strip sections. Those were in magazines, but the uh, the actual story, you know, big like even in the four panel story comics weren't or collections of guys' works weren't in 
Yeah, until they, they didn't get into the, you know, small collections of doing the... Like, you saw him, you know, going over in his mind, well, I'm still winning these awards with my four panels, but I really want to switch over to a short story sort of thing. And, yeah, exactly. But then would have to go back to the four panels just yeah. to make ends meet. Just to make yeah. ends meet. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and they helped start... There's the whole... The magazine thing is in there where they start with Skyscraper and, yeah. and yeah. Shadow, and they, they're in there starting the... You know, Shadow, which was what all the detective novels or darker novels or something like right. that, yeah. and, and Skyscraper, which was all about urban uh, and and uh, more modern tales, mm -hmm. and there were period manga, you know, piece of magazines. So the the boom of the you know the manga magazines in there, and it, it shows you like just how much you know when that gigarate given free reign to create things. You know, it wasn't you know where America we you know where we trapped ourselves in. Superheroes, superheroes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. like they never did that, and you can see why there is such much more of a volume of expression mm -hmm. that yeah. we don't get here exactly. until more recently than it is, you know, before. And, and again, it has to do with the smaller uh, distribution and the smaller uh, and the fighting over creators. Because with a smaller distribution, you didn't have to spend as much money. You could take more chances on things. You know, in America, you had to sell what sell what sold, and what sold best for superheroes. Mm -hmm. You know, all over uh, in Japan, there are a lot of a lot of different minds with different ideas, and they all got to they all got to uh, grow a little bit and, and and spread. So you get all sorts of genres. And well, it's ideas. one of those, it's one of those things where I think in America there were lots of minds, with lots of ideas. Well, yeah, I don't doubt that. They just didn't have a place to grow. Exactly, they just didn't have any place to grow with it. Like, uh, you know, they were locked into doing. You know, one thing, and uh, good or bad. So, uh, and this is the story of a guy who they they still wanted to lock him into the things too, and he was like, "No, I'm going to push the envelope. I'm going to make these things." Yeah, like, and he had people like, heck, um, there's one in there, Black Blizzard, mm -hmm. which we've actually got a copy of and we've read. Um, at least me and Basil. Have. I don't know if uh, I've, I've read I've read about half of it. So, uh, and uh, it's a very simple story. It's not by modern standards a complicated dark manga but in a world where everything is is uh, Pluto comic strips you know mm -hmm. and, and Mickey Mouse comic strips this is a Dick Tracy mm -hmm. you know yeah. this is a Prince Valiant and uh, it's interesting there's a great descriptor of it everybody who reads a Drifter Milk should check out Black Blizzard if only to because there's a point where he's actually drawing that manga and his brother says I feel like I'm in a world of vertical lines and I think uh it's got a much more cinematic presentation. There's canted angles on things. Mm -hmm. There's, like I mean, his brother would yell at him because he would include panels where no one was talking. Yeah, he's like, "You're wasting space. Why are you have these panels when there's no dialogue? That's like whole panels you could be having dialogue in." And yet, it, and yet they needed that because it revolutioned their world so much. Just yeah, to... exactly. You drew a whole. What is it? One. There's one page in there that's just one drawing, right? There's yeah. like one panel. It'll draw one panel spread, spread, and that was like what you're, you're taking a whole page to sh to set the scene, you know that's a that's what it's a scene building shot from a movie. Mm -hmm. It's when they pan across, you know the the field, and that's what they're doing on this, and it's just it was at the time revolutionary. I mean, it was, and it was just a, it was all built off a scene he saw or read in the Count of Monte Cristo, yeah, mm -hmm. where they where he had two people trapped together, you know, chained together to escape something. And he was like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. I want to create something like that, you know, in manga form. But actually, did you? Know, but took that as an inspiration and created his own story. Mm -hmm. And even though it's simple, it's not complicated. It's still even now not bad. Yeah, exactly. It's mm -hmm. not you know, 
It's just got a little Deus Ex in it where like a ton of stuff is revealed in the last like two pages and yeah, it's... you know, like by modern standards, it's not uh, the greatest story, but it's not a terrible story. And and actually having reference in the book to what kind of stories they were getting, and to get to feel how it was revolutionary, it's neat to actually hold it in your hand and go, oh wow. Yeah, because it's really cool to take a drifting life and read the part where he's talking about Black Blizzard and have and know exactly what he's talking about when he's writing about it. Mm-hmm. So this is really that was the best reason to read it that I saw. Like, uh, but it, it's just some, we're just such a neat glimpse into what was. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it, it is. Uh, and for me, it really makes you appreciate what we have now. Yes, exactly. Because it was built on the foundation of what was, and thank God it was such a good foundation. Yeah, and it's real easy to not appreciate what was because you just, you know, you don't know anything else. You just know what we got. Yeah, it's really easy to just go, oh, well, that's crap. You know, like, you know, the drawing's not as good, and it's old style, and it's, you know, hard to read something like Black Blizzard and go, like, oh, well, it's simple, and it's, you know, ugly, and blah, 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 blah. But... You know, if it wasn't for guys doing things like that, we wouldn't have the things we have now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, again, I'm a history historian, or I will be one day, hopefully. And so this is kind of what I try to do every day. But this, to you guys out there, because I'm assuming most of you are anime and manga readers, this is like laser lightning towards you guys' the history of your fandom. Yes. And you really need to check it out. It appealed to me not only on that level, but also as a comic artist or wanting and aspiring to be a comic artist, to just see someone's journey from just about as young as you could get into it, and to to grow and to influence your uh, to influence your industry in that way and influence culture in that way. It's it's pretty amazing. It it, it blew me away. It's just a really really good book.
things that he wasn't quite so fond of doing and he wasn't feel like the best person in the world like when he left his existing publishing group to work for another publishing group mm -hmm. but to create pretty much a competing magazine with that other from for that other group yeah exactly where and his brother was still stuck in that first group yeah. but, they, but they paid him so much more money <laughs> yeah yeah and that was an interesting thing too is they he had exact amounts of money that, in there uh, yeah they had yeah. been paid and it was and he would compare them he would go like this is how much a college graduate made in this year, here's how much I got for one manga. Yeah. And it was like, a college graduate would get 20,000 yen a year, and he could make five or 6,000 in the early days off of one manga. Mm -hmm. So he was making a fourth of a year salary for a college graduate by doing one piece of work that took him a month. And, yeah. And uh, just to see, when he's first searching for a publisher... He, he sees one that uh, will give him a good price for his, but they're not sure they're going to publish it, and they may be going under. So he eventually goes to the people who will eventually make Shadow and signs up with them. But who who, know, who knows what would have happened if he had gone with the other because they came back to him eventually and said, we'll, do the, we'll take your uh, manga, but by that time he'd already signed up with the Shadow people. So just just a whole bunch of little in twists and turns of the business and to see how how... A, how artists worked with the business back then, and B, how, how just the mindset of being an artist trying to juggle, trying to juggle being a bit, having a business out of this and being putting out artistic works. So it was all very haphazard. I mean, it wasn't like he didn't have a, an agent or anything. Yeah, you just he was just submitting things, hoping hoping to God that you know at some point someone will publish his work and give him some money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was he. Yeah, he would send whole like books that he worked weeks on end without any kind of contract. Yeah, and, and this is one where you know this is one like the world of digital stuff where you could save a copy. And then you yeah, say now this was his entire actual work work yeah. done. You know, he he did all the lines and all the everything. He produced his own book. You know, then shipped the entire contents. No copies of his own. So if they lost it, it would be lost. Mm -hmm. And he went he went into town like to get published originally, and he didn't know where to go. They're just wandering from public. You, know, you guys publish manga? No, okay. You guys publish manga? Not anymore. Okay. You guys publish manga? Oh, really? What you paying? Like, yeah. Like literally, he's walking from door to door to door, going, "You guys sell manga? Yeah, no." You know, goes to like two guys. Like, well, I think that guy used to sell manga. They might print manga over there. Like. Although I did think it was impressive that most people that looked at his work were actually impressed enough to say, "Yeah, we'll get back to you on this. This looks good and stuff." So, and sometimes they wouldn't. Sometimes they wouldn't. Yeah, well, exactly. yeah, that's true. He always said he didn't like his art. Did you notice that? Yeah, like, he was I did. constantly saying, "Like, well, my art's kind of shitty, but the stories are good." Well, that's most artists. Well, he's, yeah, he's an artist. I mean, it's it's true. It's how they roll. Oh, my art sucks. But you, yeah, and then. Where he decided, you know, maybe the best way to do this would be to create a coalition of like-minded artists, and then try to think of his own name, you know, to to 
label their new kind of manga so that people aren't thinking it's going to be four panel strips, mm-hmm. which is where he comes with up the, the term Gekiga. Mm-hmm. But you know, while he's while he's doing that, a friend of his who was working for a competing publisher at the time even had his own term already. Yeah, I don't eventually they had to argue over who got who what term became the actual main line term. And we also got to see yeah, was it was Kumanga or whatever. Yeah, yeah that was it. Kumanga. <clears throat> we also got to see hiccups within the uh, you know the evolution of the media where people would be offended that they were starting to do things about darker subjects and newspapers would be printing, oh, you're ruining our children, which kind of parallels back to the day of the comics code in America. Oh, God, yeah, all the great comic book bonfires from all the horror comics. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, uh, I was like, I was telling the other day, the reason a lot of those old DC comics are rare is not because they uh, weren't popular and weren't printed, but because they burned them. Mm. <laughs> like, you know. I don't care how bad a book is. If you're burning a book, you're doing something wrong, I think. But that's just me. But even then, you also got to see how, like, the get Workshop, as they were known to call themselves, sort of fell apart. Well, yeah, because all the art of that, that's one of the key parts. All the artists were doing the business. Well, yeah, he was, you know, he, they were business people, and so he, he, as an artist, would come up to his guys because he was the editor, and he'd go, I need this story, and the guy would go, meh. Or he'd go to another guy and say, hey, do you have the story for this volume? It's due tomorrow. Eh, probably not. But you just finished the story for this other guy that's not for Comica. Meh. You know, like, or these two guys would go to Tokyo and play, or the Oh, the old manga artist that was like the old constantly man. bitter and yeah, was constantly bitter and, and was getting himself drunk and doing all sorts of crazy shit. Like took four hundred thousand yen or whatever, which was actually a loan from all of them that he to get been, a new place. He'd been given it, yeah, to go get a place in Tokyo, and he spent it all drinking and gambling. You know, there was some seedy underbellies sometimes too, mm-hmm. and it really does show the um, the valiant comic syndrome, which is uh, most artists are not business people. It is just true, and well, and so it, it, it creates this kind of thing where a lot of times when you get these groups of just artists together, they just they further off. Like, and or I'm not when I say artists, I don't just mean like the people drawing. I mean writers. Any creative, any person. creative person, most of the time, just wants to create and doesn't, you know, will further off a lot of the time rather than. And that's what I thought was said is that when he finally got this group together to do his sort of thing, his sort of stories and stuff. He was so busy trying to manage it, he couldn't really put out any any inspired work, and it was kind of, uh, and it kind of fell apart. So it was kind of sad. But. Yeah, you know, uh, but this that's kind of the way those things go. You yeah, know, like, uh, but you know, when it started off, it worked out really well, and it was doing re- really good. But then eventually, it just fell apart, and that that happens sometimes. It's really neat to see it. What do they get? Like fourteen like, issues in, or something like that, or yeah, twelve but, issues? Yeah, they got like a year's worth of comics out. Um, and by the end, nobody was left in it but his brother and the other guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but they got to take that funds. There was, like, a fund of, yeah, you know, whoever was left got the stuff they were putting aside. Yeah, it was like, oh, this was our publishing expenses. Guess we get it. And it was, like, 100,000 yen or something. 10,000 yen, whatever. Man, I wonder if his brother ever went to put out anything that's really spectacular. Well, that'd be a real question. I mean, is this, we're lucky that we got this at all. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because exactly. I believe it was, it was the editor... Who, who did this, you know, he just happened to run into his work and was like, oh man, this is awesome, we gotta publish it. Mm-hmm. And he got, he worked, he, he went and tracked down um, Tatsumi and got the rights and everything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, what he had to go, we, that we got this is still it's a story in of itself. You know, where otherwise we would never have seen it. And it was one of the reasons why he's starting to get worldwide appeal. People are actually starting reading his stuff because 
Of Drifting Light. Uh, well, Drifting Light. Well, I mean, this was actually they were publishing his other earlier work, other early works, yeah. like they um, drawn in quarterly who published a Drifting Light. Um, is, dri- is publishing all his stuff, and for a while they what they've been doing is they've been going year by year, and compiling them into hard covers, which they would sell. Mm-hmm. And then once this came out, just because it was so huge, they did paperback, and then it did paperback for Black Blizzard. But you know, it just we're, we're we're fortunate enough to at all to get this, and it's a, it's a really great book. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just wonderful, wonderful stuff. If you uh, if you have the chance to, I really think you should check it out. You can find it in your local bookstore or online. Drifting Life was it Yoshihiro? Yoshihiro Tatsumi. Yes, you know, it's you know it's thirty bucks. It is expensive, but it's a big old honking volume, and it will not be something you regret buying. Yes, it's the kind of thing you need to buy, and then, and then everyone you know that likes manga needs to read it. Like, yeah, this is kind exactly. of what happened here. Like, I promise you, this is this is more than buying three individuals of like Naruto. Yeah, yeah. This is this is way more. You know, or even like pick a good manga. This is more than buying three volumes of you know Soul Eater or Rene or Gurren Lagann mm-hmm. or you know, or anything else, you're getting more value. Yeah, just just your amount of page of content. Because thirty bucks seems like a a lot for a book, but this is a really thick book. How much did we say? Like nine hundred pages. Eight hundred pages. Eight hundred pages. It's a lot of content, a lot of stuff, and <clears throat> let me say it's probably a better book than what you're buying, anyways. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's probably a better book than ninety-five percent of what you're getting. Just keep in mind that it is a memoir, so it's real stuff. So you're not going to get the natural flow. Of storyline conflict and resolution because real life doesn't work that yeah, way. Yeah, real life never works that way. Like even then, what it, it, it ends on sort of a weird point. Yeah, yeah. It, the very end of the book is um, basically the author at uh, a memorial for uh, Tezuka um, after so many years after he died. Where yeah, it was like five years or something or eight years after he died, kind of bemoaning. You know what is what is this industry going to do without people like Tezuka who will push its boundaries. Like, uh, and, and it's very strange. Yeah. Ending. Like, it's it's a... Uh, it's almost out of nowhere, but... And he talks about how he's still chasing... Uh, what was that word again? Gekiga. Gekiga. Yeah, he's Even always now. chasing Gekiga. Like, he always move forward. All keep, always keep trying to do something different, something new, something that hasn't been done. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I think it's actually, honestly, a lesson that really should ring true now as much as any other time. Especially since a lot of the stuff nowadays... Because Japan's industry, you know, just economy is so so much in the gutter that you know that they're relying on stuff like moe and whatnot to sell things to their incredibly hardcore audience. Or zombies with panty shots. Or well, yeah, well that's just another example of it. But they're not, you know, what they really need to be doing is pushing themselves further to get a more worldwide appeal to make it a larger thing. Mm-hmm. And right now, that'd be a really good thing It'd to be do. Really, yeah, really good. Lesson. Yeah. Like do, you know, make it a worldwide economy, not a very, very sub, small sub of even Japan's economy. Yep. So how many awesomes out of awesome? I don't think I, I can't even rate this. Like, it, like I'll tell you the truth, it's not even something that I want to like. It's just not to. I'm not trying to belittle what we do here because I enjoy it. And it's great, but it's not even a work that I want to sit here and give awesomes out of awesome. Oh, I'll it's do like, it. it more respect than that for me. I, I think that it's not disrespectful that this is one man's journey through life and comics out of awesome. I will give it that. I think it's deserving of that. But I understand what you're saying. So how about I just say, how about a, what the hell are you still doing? Listen to us. Go buy this. You go buy this. Yeah. Out of awesome. Out of awesome. There you go. Both of those. Like a hundred million times so. 
It's good shit. That's right. A hundred billion times awesome. You just twisted his words. But... Well, that's what happens when you drift through the world of podcasting. And we didn't make any overdrift jokes. Until Spirit then. of the drift! Oh, James is going to kill you now. Nobody can drive straight! Down Dino dimension. We all drift. All the time. We're all dinos. Drifting. That's right, you can't even drive straight. Ugh. We're out. We're out. Mike and I'd like to say hello Hello. to the black, to the brown, to the green, to the I totally lost this song. Especially to the purple and yellow. Wonder Mike! I hate you so much. (laughs) (laughs) There is no depths to which I can show you the hatred, but it is there. It is deep and cavernous. Like your anus. Wow. It's a deep, dark place. It's Gekiga. That's how it rolls. No, but...